The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesQuid, the app that helps salespeople discover why they miss quota and what to do about it. Find out more at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Special teams is part of sports, but it can also be part of your company culturally. What do you think? Absolutely. Offense, defense, special teams, and that's what, way, what you have in sports, and definitely it works that way in business, too. For sure. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. Our guest today is going to talk all about special teams. My name is Audrey Strong. I'm Vice President of Communications here at SalesField. I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the founder and CEO of SalesField. And you know, Audrey, it's like I uh, always like to say that if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Well, I'm in the right room today. <laughs> Definitely, because Darren Janelle is here. He's the founder and CEO of Janelle Group, a 150-person software consulting company headquartered in upstate New York. Darren leads with energy and is maniacally focused on creating, I love maniacally focused, ah! that's great, <laughs> on an amazing work environment for his team. Janelle Group has made the Inc. Magazine 5000 list six years in a row and has won multiple best workplace awards for their amazing culture. And uh, Darren, welcome to the show. First of all, we just want to say thank you for coming. Let's start there. You, yeah, didn't, you, didn't mention, you didn't mention the best part about, you know, why I'm not the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you yeah. used to play basketball and you apply those principles to special teams. So what is a special team? What's the definition of that? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, Audrey Lee, thanks for having me. I'm fired up to be here. Uh, yeah, we, we talk a lot about special teams and, and, and what does that mean? Lee was kind of referring to special teams in terms of like football, right? That's like not necessarily what we're talking about, like a, a special right. teams, like a kickoff unit. Um when my, my brother and I grew up playing basketball, as you mentioned, Audrey, and we were lucky enough to be a part of a few special teams when we were young, right? And to me, a person is at their best when they're a part of a special team. It doesn't have to be a, a sports team, right? Maybe it's a band. Maybe it's a, fr a fraternity or a sorority or a startup company. But when someone is a part of a, a special team, a special group of people, I think it's when people are at their best, right? They're fired up to come into work. They're they're happy. They're they're rooting each other on. They're challenging each other and they're competitive with each other. But it's the it's the light side of competitiveness. There's a dark side of competitiveness. Mm -hmm. um, people are usually when they're a part of a special team, they're doing more than they ever thought they could because the being part of the team, it's like it it it, it enables them and gives them confidence and drives them to heights that they never thought they could achieve, right? To me, the number one telltale sign, though, of a special team is it's like a magnet. It draws people in. At the end of practice, at the end of the meeting, end of the day, whatever, people, they don't leave. They just kind of want to be around it. It attracts family and friends. After you close the big deal and you go out for drinks, you know, the the, the spouses show up, the kids, like people just want to be around it. There's something about human beings being drawn to a special team. So that's kind of the way I, I define it and look at it. <clears throat> Yeah, they, I mean, our company, they show up early and then there's always the after meeting. But the after meeting is, is not where people go off, off off the side and chat amongst themselves. You know, they, they stay in the meeting or whatever and they just they just chit chat or whatever. If I didn't if I don't close the room, they'll be in there. I don't know for how long. Matter of fact, we had one time, Audrey, you remember this was like we had a uh, annual meeting and it was virtual because it was during the pandemic. 
and oh, we closed the meeting out, out at like at 5 30 and it's like at, i went back and it's like at 9 30 they're still in the meeting where there's they're drinking wine and stuff it was, it was the craziest thing i'd ever seen that's fantastic that's such a good sign right if you're running your meetings and you and you see the people hanging around after i think that's a great sign that's awesome to hear you got that going lee so what other sports concepts you still coach basketball right isn't that part of yeah so i i have four children uh two of them played basketball my other boy plays tennis my daughter plays volleyball so very involved in youth sports coaching i you know i just love being around that environment um and actually my son who just graduated high school his team last year his varsity basketball team kind of also had that quality, right? That special team quality. They won a sectional championship. And it was just, it was awesome to experience that with him. And I was an assistant coach on the team and it was, it was cool to be back in that in, environment again. So yeah, sports is still a, a really big part of my life and uh, definitely energizes me, Audrey. So there could be different kinds of special teams, right? Like for example, if you, you're, you're creating a software for a client, which is what your company does, and you have a special project within a project either could be operational special teams for certain pieces of execution of work but then you're also into servant leadership where there could be the philanthropic special team for the entire company so operational uh special teams and company culture special teams maybe yeah certainly right uh we have 150 people on our on our greater team um we like to think of that as a a special team what we're doing here at janelle group but really, the truth is you, you, you can't be close with 150 people. And so what we see is pockets of special teams forming within the organization, right? And yeah, maybe it's a project team. And these the, the, these guys and girls, they, they start to get really close and, you know, they're going through battles together and they start to form their own bond. Maybe it's... Um, demographics wise too, right? We'll see, like we hire a lot of young folks out of college and they kind of start to form their own crew and they're hanging out after work and they're doing different things maybe than, you know, the older folks like myself who has, I got four kids. I I can't necessarily go out to the bar every night and hang out. Right. Um, And so we're seeing those types of, of, of groups form organically. Sometimes it's around interests, right? We've got, we're software engineers here. We got some nerds here, man. We got a, we got a Dungeons and Dragons crew. They mean oh, yeah. like Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> awesome. or Magic the Gathering. We've got a, a, um, a soccer team and a volleyball team. And so there are all these different groups that kind of are forming organically and it's kind of, yeah, like little pockets of special teams within the, the greater team. So yeah, it can take many shapes. I'm so, curious to, okay. to learn, uh, to kind of go off on a tangent a little bit here, too much to <coughs> Audrey's chagrin here, I think, but uh, I'm really curious to hear about your your Nigerian son. How did that come to pass? And, you know, what has that taught you about uh, managing people then uh, who have a totally different culture than what you're used to? Yeah, that's that's great. So, yeah, thanks for mentioning that, Lee. So I have four kids, my two kids in the middle, the 16 and 18-year-old, they're birth sons. And then the other ones are adopted. My my oldest son, Gideon, from Nigeria, and my my youngest daughter, uh, Taya, she's adopted through foster care. Um, and and so, yeah, so Gideon's an amazing guy, right? Um, after we had adopted my daughter, we were thinking about doing foster care again. And we found out about this kid in, in Nigeria who was looking to come to America. Um, and we started connecting with him on Skype. First time he talked to my wife, Lee, he said, uh, he goes, I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, all right, fine, we'll adopt him. I guess I have no choice. Okay. Now. <laughs> we we picked him up from the airport on his 16th birthday. 
And uh, he's, he's really an amazing kid. He's 22 years old now. He's been with us six years. And I, I'll tell you, hopefully this doesn't go on too long, but I got a great story about him, right? This is, oh, I love this. This is, I'm beaming with pride on this. So we call him our son, even though he's not officially adopted. He has parents in Nigeria. He has five siblings. And so he works all summer at, uh, a couple summers ago, he works all summer at Jersey Mike's. 50, 60 hours a week, grinding, making sandwiches, right? We're making fun of him, picking on him, going, gee, we call him G. His name is Gideon. Gee, what are you doing with all your money, man? you got to be like the richest teenager around, you know? And you know what he said to us, Lee? He goes, I just bought my parents a house. He actually saved up his money and bought his parents a house in Nigeria. And the house is great. It's a brick house. It's, it looks amazing. And I think it might be the first house they've owned in their, their family trees history, or at least that he knows of. I mean, this is the type of kid you got, right. That, that, that we've got, and we're so proud of them. You know, what kid is going to spend their hard earned Jersey Mike's money on their family. Right. I mean, most kids would buy a car or clothes or whatever, and he's sending that money back home. And I, I just thought that was cool and wanted to share that. So so culturally, though, has that opened your eyes then, though, to, you know, to other ways of doing things and how other people live and everything like that? And is that, you know, have you been able to take that into your leadership role at the company? Yeah, big time. You know, we, we get involved in different causes through our church. I've been on some mission trips and spent some time in third world countries. And and I think when you get that bigger sense of the world and you know, what those other problems and struggles are, it really does put, you know, you hear the saying, first world problems, right? It puts our problems in perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, I lost a contract. You know, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Well, some people are worried about their safety. Some people are worried about where their next meal is coming from. You know, and I know we have poverty in this country. We do, but but people can eat in America. You can go to a soup kitchen. There mm-hmm. are meals. You can go get them, Right. Some people in this world are, are they, they actually can't find their next meal and, and people are actually dying of starvation, right? So not to get too negative here, but I'm just saying putting everything that we're doing through that world lens, I think um, helps us be, give, give us a little more grit and, and uh, you know, more resilience to kind of what we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And I, and I see that in Gideon when I hear, you know, his stories and what he had to go through. Does it make you more patient as a leader? with the 150 different personalities. My dad used to say, I'm not ma- I'm not managing 20 people. I'm managing 20 different personalities. <laughs> Do you feel like your world experience has made you a little bit more patient with the differences in generations and work styles and everything else? Yeah, definitely, right? In the early days, my, my brother and I are both very intense, right? We're the ones who found, co-founded the company. And, you know, we're, we, you know, in the uh, intro, you said we're maniacally focused. We we are maniacal in the way we we drive, right? And so in the early days, I think it was, you know, get on board and you better be down for the cause, right? And over time, especially as we've scaled, we've had to kind of dial that back and realize that what everybody wants is different for them, right? Just because we were so driven doesn't mean that everybody's going to be that way. And you kind of see that generationally, right? I, I think... Um, you know, if somebody was just like, hey, I want to come and work 40 hours a week and I got I want work-life balance and that that's not necessarily what I was interested in, maybe at their age, but we want to provide an environment where everybody can kind of architect the life that, that works for them, if, if that makes sense. So yeah, definitely gotten more patient over time. I think I'm still a, a crazy man and deep in my soul, but uh but I had to evolve. <laughs> Yeah, so tell me what the what the family dinners are like. Yeah, since you and your brother then f- founded a company, number one, number two is like 
I wanted it something what I was alluding to earlier is like is your brother a Mensa member too? <laughs> <laughs> um my brother is a very smart uh guy. I don't know if he actually got officially accepted into Mensa, but he's probably on that <laughs> on that level. Um he he really is is a sharp guy, but you know, sometimes the Mensa thing like I feel like that might like in Indicate something about my personality, but I think if you spent time with me, like I'm very silly, I'm um, I, I'm a little bit unpolished and rough around the edges, so it's uh, you know it might be a little bit misleading when it is a descriptor for me. Yeah, you, you would think of healthy competition that he would also be Mensa. I mean, <laughs> see, yeah. I wonder why he didn't take that up. That's interesting. My, my brother and I have competed our whole lives, right? I mean, he's two years older and he's a monster, right? So, uh, you know, he, he's, we call him the war machine. He's 6'4", 240. Oh you God. sent him out of space to destroy, right? Wow, so that's this is a linebacker guy I had right play, there. I had to play him one-on-one -on -one in basketball in the backyard and Ooh. I was getting daily beat downs. Trust me on that. <laughs> so your press kit says, tell me if these numbers are right, because we're going to talk more about the sports and attracting A-list talent and keeping it that you get over a hundred thousand applicants for 50 positions. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that may be a little misleading. What, what we're, what we're referring to is our recruiting funnel. Okay. So we have okay. a full time uh, team here. There's like six people on the recruiting team. And what this year we're going to vet 120,000 people, right? That doesn't mean they applied where a lot of this is like LinkedIn stalking. Like we're going out oh. and, and <laughs> okay. we're doing outreach. Right. I mean, we do get a ton of applications to, but nowhere near that number, right? Of those, we're going to interview 1,500 people this year. So 1,500 people we're going to actually speak to and interview to hire about 50 or 60 positions, right? So when you think about that funnel, 120,000, speak to 1,500 to hire 50 or 60, we believe that we're getting the best and the brightest, and we are getting world-class A players out of the bottom of that funnel because we're speaking to so many folks, right? We, we, we treat this like a college football program. How does a college football program build the dynasty? By recruiting. You got to have great players. And how do you get great players? You got to see all the players and you got to speak to them all and you got to be traveling. You got to connect with them. And so that's kind of the attitude we, we take with it, uh, Audrey. And, and, and so, yeah, our recruiting funnel is crazy. A lot of it is us reaching out to uh, people we believe to be A players. If you're going to have a special team, you need special people, right? And so I'm curious as to um, how you avoid hiring people that are self-centered. Because if you're self-centered, you're not going to be a, a great team player if you're always thinking about everything in the lens of what's in it for me and what's good for me instead of what's good for the team, what's good for the customer, what's you know, good for the company as a whole. So how do you uh, go about evaluating that? Yeah, so so we got a bunch of different different tactics and tricks. And, uh, you know, we've interviewed so many people. I probably personally have done, I don't even know, got to be 3000 interviews personally. Right. Um, and the more you do, I think the better you get at it. And so what we try to do is we try to take the conversation in, um, in a direction maybe they wouldn't have expected. We're talking more about their life, their past. If they talk about sports, I want to dive into their sports career. If they talk about I was into ballet or band or whatever their interests are, we're now talking about stuff that they were doing when they were in eighth grade, in high school, when they were in <laughs> middle school, whatever, right? And they probably aren't necessarily prepared to speak about that in an interview. So now I'm just talking. We're getting to know them. And when you hear about people's life experiences, you can pick up different cues. How did they, you know, did they have success? 
Did they, how do they feel about their coach or their bandmates? Do they still have those friends? The, the people that they did this thing that they said was so amazing in middle school, well, do they still talk to that person? Um, so we're looking for all of these little nuances. Are you complaining? Did you say, oh, I didn't play in high school because my coach didn't like me? Well, that's a red flag to me, right? Why didn't your coach like you? Probably, you know, nine times out of 10, if your coach doesn't like you, it's probably on you. You know, some sometimes maybe it's the coach's fault, but even if it is the coach's fault, you probably should have the sense not to mention that in an interview, right? So we're taking this conversation, Lee, in all these different directions, and we're trying to, you know, look for some of maybe these red flags that say, you know, maybe maybe this person uh, is not matching our core values and wouldn't be a good fit here. That's interesting. Uh, what are uh, some of the other tips that you have for hiring? I would love to hear more on that. Yeah, so, so uh, one of the things I think that, fundamentally changes the whole conversation for us is once we've identified someone as a star, as someone we think is is really great and really talented and we want them, <clears throat> we flip it and we now start to sell them and we're serving them. I think a lot of people like the position of power when they're interviewing, you know, I'm going to give you the tough question and you got to impress me. Even if inside they love the person, they don't want to show that. They don't want to let that out. I'm like the college football coach recruiting the star quarterback. I'm I'm telling them why they should be here. I'm telling them that we love them. I'm telling them that the last person that they spoke to, you spoke to, you know, whoever, Mike Young, our head of recruiting, and Mike freaking loved you. He wouldn't shut up about you. I was so excited for this conversation. I couldn't wait to talk to you, right? Because I actually can't wait to talk to him because if I, you know, I hear they're a star, it's my job to sell them, right? So that changes the conversation, right? The, the perspective, the person's going in, they're almost in a defensive mode. They're ready to answer the questions and be perfectly um, professional. And here I'm coming shot out of a cannon trying to recruit them, right? That, I think that's a that's a tactic that maybe some people could try when they know they've got the person that they want, you know? I'm definitely picking up a Dick Vitale vibe here. I was going to say, and it was like the NCAA, do you buy their parents a car or a tractor or whatever anybody needs? <laughs> <laughs> I love Dick Mitel. He's obnoxious, but so am I. <laughs> and what about what, one thing we've been talking a lot? We got a few minutes left. Um, uh, is this weird hiring climate that we're in, where people are sitting out or sitting on their hands or living in their mom's basement? Have you run into any issues with that? And I would love to hear kind of any anecdotal. It's a little bit weird right now out there. It, it definitely is. It is strange. There's no no doubt about that. Um, in our industry, right, we're hiring a lot of software engineers. And this is the hottest software engineering market ever, although it is starting to cool down with all the layoffs coming out of Silicon Valley. And I don't know if you've been reading those stories. Mm -hmm. Literally in the last month, we've seen significant change, right? But over the past year or so, two years, it's been crazy. I mean, people just demanding, you know, wild salaries, wild benefits, people saying, I'm only going to work four days a week. I'm like, well, yeah, but but we work five and we get paid for our time. Like, I need you here five days a week. And they're like, ah, that's a deal breaker, you know? And yeah, so wow. it has been a, a, a crazy season. It's almost like for a time, all of the power shifted to the employees, right? Mm -hmm. um, I do think that's going to swing back a little bit as inflation kicks in, as some of the stimulus runs out, um, as companies are starting to lay off. Um, but but it's been challenging, you know, and in our, in our company, we've had almost no turnover for there was an eight year period where we had four people leave right over wow. eight, eight year period. But even us over the last couple of years, we've we've lost some people, um, you know, 
other companies are poaching them and offering crazy mm-hmm. salaries and stuff. So, so even we've been hit a little bit by the turnover bug. We're still way below industry average, but um, it has been a wild market, as as you said, Audrey. For sure. Well, your website is darrenjanelle.com. You spell your name Darren with an I, not an E, people. And Janelle is J-A-H-N-E-L.com. And so if you want to work for Darren, hit him up on the website. Or uh, let's see, it doesn't look like you're on Twitter. Um, I, I am not on Twitter, but Janelle I now on LinkedIn. Yeah, I just, I did, I'm on LinkedIn and I did just launch a YouTube channel as well. So if you like any of this BS I'm spewing uh, and you want more, (laughs) hit up my YouTube YouTube. channel at Darren.Janelle and, uh, you know, you'll get more of it. (laughs) So what position do you play in basketball? I'm guessing you're not a center. Uh, Yeah, I was a shooting guard uh, back in the day, bombing threes, Lee. (laughs) All right. Awesome sauce. All right, Darren, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Great stuff. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.